That's true. That's true. We want you to enjoy, enjoy your time. But I also want you to get messed up. God has a way of doing that. It's interesting to see people, when God is, is moving, working in their lives, they, they sense that. And I've seen people walk away from it because they don't feel comfortable, you know, because God is pursuing them. I like it when God messes me up, you know, that, re, that reaffirms the fact that he's living inside me. And that he's talking to me, just like he wants to talk to you. So, this morning, Lord, have your way in each one of our lives as we endeavor to teach God's word. If you were on the British coast in July 1845, I know that was a long time ago. It was before your time, my time. You might, have been, you might have been able to see two ships being boarded by 138 of England's finest sailors setting for the Arctic. Yes, the Arctic. Their mission to chart the Northwest Passage around the Canadian Arctic to the Pacific Ocean. The captain in charge was Sir John Franklin, and his desire was that this effort would be the turning point for Arctic exploration. It's kind of like what we were doing um, a long time ago of getting somebody on the moon, space exploration. So Arctic exploration was the big deal back then. And his ships were um, equipped with new technology pioneered by Britain. They were coal-fired engines, and they had just come out with tinned food. What's that about? Well, if you have a cat, you know the tin can, you know, pop the lid and, in fact, I fed our, it's not my cat, it's Tori's cat. I fed Tori's cat this morning from the tin can. Just so you know, he ate all the food. So you guys can relax. Anyway, it was a risky trip for sure. Um, They were going so far away that rescue parties would not be able to reach them in time if something were to happen. And um, so Sir John Franklin and his, his uh, colleagues left for the Arctic and nothing was heard from them. Silence for two years. And so with that, England kind of raised the alarm like we better send out search parties in case something happened. And that's exactly what they did. And the rescue mission brought news back of tragic news. All 138 men had perished, and uh, it was the greatest single disaster in Arctic exploration. What was clear was all had started well. The ship um, had been poorly equipped from the start. For example, the engines were underpowered, and you know that tin food that they were hoping to eat? Well... It was produced by a contractor who was the lowest bidder, and guess what? It turned out to be rotten, so the men couldn't eat it. Those who followed in the expedition's path to the pole, they learned this lesson from Sir John Franklin. It was a lesson we should all learn, and that is prepare for the journey. 
prepare for the journey. Apparently, Franklin did not. Though the voyage was projected to be two to three years long, he only carried a 12-day supply of coal for his auxiliary steam engines. In case they did get into trouble, those steam engines could kick in. But what he lacked in fuel, he made up for entertainment. For example, each ship carried 1,200-volume uh, library. Each ship carried a hand organ. China placed settings for officers and the men with flat ware uh, that was silver, so they would eat in the finest uh, conditions. Um, so you would ask the question, were they planning for an Arctic expedition or a Caribbean cruise? Well, when you look at what they brought on board, you would say it would have to be a Caribbean cruise, man. For sure. But it wasn't. It wasn't. In fact, the sailors carried no extra clothing for the Arctic cold. They wore their uniforms um, for Her Majesty's fleet. And guess what? The inevitable occurred. Yes, it did. The two ships had been ill-prepared. Ice began to coat the deck, the rigging, the sea froze around the rudder. And this is what you end up with. It's somewhat intimidating, isn't it? Yeah, you've got nowhere to go. And your supplies are minimal. And so, yes, indeed, the worst did happen. For the next 20 years, remains of the expedition were found all over the frozen sea. Franklin died on the boat himself. Search parties would later find a piece of the backgammon board that his wife had given to him. For this expedition, didn't seem to help to keep them alive, though. It's strange how men could embark on such a journey ill-prepared, wouldn't you say? More equipped for afternoon tea than uh, going out for the open sea in the Arctic. Well, what's even stranger still is that how human beings, you and I, um... We sometimes act like the Christian life is a retirement cruise. You know, we just coast all along and uh, very little effort, very little planning. And uh, when the freeze comes, hey, you know, we blame God for it. It's all God's fault. But I want you to know something that God did not leave you ill-prepared. He has given you and me everything we need to live an abundant life. He's given us his word as a map. He's given us his Holy Spirit as a compass. He's outlined a route and he's described all the landmarks we should be looking for. And the question is, are we following what Jesus has done? In John 14, 1 through 4, Jesus speaking says, don't let your hearts be troubled. What does that mean? That means there's opportunities for your hearts to be troubled. Have you noticed We live in a troubled world. Why? Because sin has a way of doing that. So he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is preparing a place. In just a few moments, we're going to be talking about the necessary requirement of preparation for you and for me. It's like Sir John Franklin was not prepared of going to the Arctic. Well, Jesus is preparing a place for you. 
So when everything's ready, I'm going to come and get you so that you will always, always, good word to circle there, always be with me where I am. That's why Jesus went to the cross, so that we could be with him always. And you know where the way to where I am going. So the good news, your heavenly father is preparing a place for you. Yeah. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he wants you to be with him forever. That's why he's doing it. So this morning, as we look at uh, the text that we're going to be reading, on the back of your program, there's an outline and you can follow along. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles on the back table. They're free. Grab one. Um, and the, the, the title, Ready and Waiting for Jesus, that is the, um, that's the goal Jesus has for us, that we would be ready and waiting for his return. And in this, in this story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25, ready or not, there are people that are ready and there's going to be people that are not ready. It's, it's going to be pretty obvious. So let's read Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Very similar to two weeks ago we talked about Noah and the boat. Talking about the great flood that covered the planet. The door on the ark was closed by God. And when we follow this story that Jesus is telling, there is a door. And right now that door is wide open. And over the door, there's a sign that simply says, quoting from John 3.16, For God so loved the world, we're part of the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. Going right back to what John 14 talks about, that we will always be with him. That's over the door. Wide open, man. There's an invitation for the world, everybody. And so when you look at Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is telling a group of six stories making a point, um, the importance that we need to be prepared. For example, in Matthew 24, he talks about a homeowner and a thief. In Matthew 24, 45, a faithful servant. In Matthew 24, 48, an unfaithful servant. Now in Matthew 25, he's talking about ten bridesmaids of being prepared. Right after this, he talks about servants left in charge of their master's resources. And finally, the tail end of Matthew 25, dividing the sheep and the goats. It's this one or the other. It's not a bunch of electives, you know. It's one or the other. One of two choices that we have. And so for um, Bible references prophesying, telling about the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus the first time, for every one of those verses, there are eight to Jesus coming back the second time. 
So you know about when Jesus came the first time as a baby and oh man, how cool that was. And we get to sing all these Christmas carols to talk about it. But the second time, eight verses for every one of the first coming. How many of you know if he came the first time, he's coming the second time? Yeah? Yeah, man, he's coming. Communion is a reminder of that fact that he is coming back again. And that's why you and I have a responsibility to remember that simple fact that Jesus came once and he's coming again. And I need to be ready. I don't want to be like Sir John Franklin, man, who just was ill-prepared going up to the Arctic. I need to make arrangements. I need to be ready. I need to make preparations for my life that when he comes, I don't have to cross my fingers or try and sneak in by my grandfather's coattails because it's not going to happen. I have to make the choice. I have to be ready. Acts 1 echoes this same thing. When Jesus was ascending to his father 40 days after he rose from the dead, his followers were looking up. Boo! You know, that's only natural. Jesus is ascending. He's going up. And, and two angels show up. And he said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing? You're staring into heaven. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday, he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So you saw him go, oh, he's coming back again. Reaffirms that same fact. And so this morning, we have ready and waiting for Jesus. Number one in your notes, ten bridesmaids and the bridegroom. Ten bridesmaids, that's what Jesus is focusing on. And he's talking about the bridegroom, the groom. Verses 1 through 4, we read that. It's, um, it's a nighttime wedding, and uh, that's usually how they did it because it was very dramatic. You know, the power went out in Manhattan about uh, just over a week ago. Power went out in Madison, you know, on Friday. Great time to go out. But it was in daytime. How do you like it when the lights go out? You don't like it. Well... Back in the day, they didn't have street lights either. So for weddings, they, it was very dramatic because people that participated in the wedding, man, uh, in the march, going from the, the, the bride's home to the groom's home, and they had these, these lamps, these torches that would light up. Very dramatic, you know, at night. They got the community's attention. So little background, there were three main points. Number one, uh, the parents were involved in, in picking their... Sons or daughters, future spouse in this culture. So when the kids were little, you know, the parents would be scoping out the neighborhood, you know, checking out, hey, uh, is this dude disciplined by his parents? You know, we don't want some wild dude uh, being our future son-in-law, you know. So they, they watched how the boy, the girl would operate in the community. And they'd say, yeah, we want to... I think they'd be a good fit when they get older. And so the parents would get together over coffee, and it's a, yeah. We, so they would, they would tie the knot, so to speak, on the future marriage of their son and daughter. So that, that was step one. Number two, when they got old enough, uh, they would go to the, to the bride's home, and they would have this little ceremony that, in fact, yes, indeed, we are, we are uh, in the process of becoming husband and wife. And so 
after that happened, the, the groom would leave the bride's home and he would go to his parents' house, the neighborhood around his parents' house, and he would build a home for his bride. And when it was ready, usually around a year, so there had been no sexual intimacy up to this point. About a year when, when everything was ready at a, by his dad's house, the groom would come, usually at night, to the bride's home and go, ha! <laughs> and she'd go, ha! You scared me! And then everybody would, you know, their torches are lit and they would march through the streets to the, to the groom's house. And it was there that the groom and the bride would consummate their marriage and following that they'd have a banquet that would be at least one day or seven days. Can you imagine the loan the parents would have to take out for feeding the community for seven days? Man, we're not just talking one meal. We're talking breakfast, lunch, and dinner and all the snacks in between. a lot of money. So that's why they put a lot of thought into it, a lot of preparation. So that's the background on this. And we see the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish. Notice Jesus right off the bat, he differentiates between these 10 bridesmaids. He draws a line like we have right here in the auditorium and just for the sake of conversation, we would say this side would be the foolish bridesmaids, because you're on that side. And this side would be the wise bridesmaids. And some of you are going to get up and move over to this side. <laughs> but you've got your seatbelt on and we've locked them down so you can't move. Isn't it interesting that Jesus recognizes out of these ten bridesmaids, five are wise and five are foolish. He recognizes that. And he points it out, and some of us would say, that's not fair. Yes, it is fair. I had to realize that I was a sinner, friend, in order for me to put my faith in a Savior. See, I have to recognize my condition. A lot of people are not willing to do that. They... They put it out of their head that there's going to be a day of accountability, you know. So Jesus does that. And sub point A, five foolish. Why? Because they don't have enough oil. Right off the bat, we're told why they're foolish. They were unprepared. They were like Sir John Franklin. They were unprepared. For the future. The five foolish, the five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. Those lamps, the torches of that particular day, they would burn for about 15 minutes before they'd have to be refueled uh, with the olive oil. And so they, you had to be prepared depending on how much time you needed to keep that lamp lit. B, five wise. What was their condition? They had extra oil. Extra oil. And we're going to find out exactly what that means. Um, And so we look right off the bat. Jesus is giving us only two categories. Two. 
Wise, foolish. And I want to ask you, which side would you line up on? I know we already predetermined this. I know it's not fair, you say over here. But realistically, deep down, how would you, how would you, where would you fall? Would you fall with the foolish or would you fall with the wise? Number two, bridegroom delayed but coming, verse 5 and 6. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, just a footnote, all ten became tired. Uh, Many of you in this room have experienced the fatigue, right, and you fall asleep. Do you see that Jesus is not criticizing? He's not critical of them falling asleep. Okay, that's normal to sleep at night. Okay, but look at at midnight they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And so, um, why was the groom late? Anybody know? The text doesn't give us any insight into that, does it? Was there a traffic jam? Did he have to try to get through Main Street on Sunday morning with the art fair going on? I, you know, who knows? Who knows? It doesn't say. So we don't know. But we do know that he was delayed. And I can tell you right now that there are people in this world that think that Jesus, because he's delayed his coming, that in fact he's not coming. But I want to tell you something, that is not true. He's delayed his coming because the door is still open and he's wanting as many people to come into that door while it's open. That's why. The Midnight's. The midnight hour. You know, you have the atomic clock in Washington, D.C. You know, it's three minutes to 12, you know, on the destruction of the world. Listen to me. That's nonsense. The only thing I need to be consumed about is the coming of the Lord. And he's coming, and he's coming to a planet with people on it. Right? Right? Don't get distracted by all this other stuff going on in the sides. The one thing is for sure, there's going to be a planet with people on it, and Jesus is coming. And I want to be ready. So, number three. Uh Uh-oh. I like that word. I like that word. I, I used to say that when my mom said, wait till your father gets home. And I'd say to myself, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Just a little word, but man, my dad, you know, he worked two jobs, and I told you this, man, and when I was a little dude, I never saw him. The only time I saw him, he was spanking me. So, hey, what does that mean, you know? Uh... But when I got older, I got to know my dad. You know what? I realized he loved me. And when he disciplined me, he disciplined me because he loved me. See? That's why we, we have to get to know our Heavenly Father. We have to get to know him, get to know his heart. So there's an uh-oh, gone at the wrong time. Verse 7, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Now, this might seem cruel to some, but the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. 
Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But, look at verse 10, but while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. That's the uh uh-oh. That's the uh uh-oh. They were gone at the wrong time. Can I tell you something? That nobody can make preparations for you. You have to make preparations for yourself. Your parents can't do it. Your grandparents can't do it. That's your responsibility. The thing is, uh, before you start becoming critical of the wise bridesmaids for not sharing their oil, historically in that culture, the groom was always late on purpose because that was part of the fun, you know? When's he coming? When's he coming? And they would text each other, is he here? You're seeing any light coming up? It's kind of, you know, oh, is he coming? That anticipation. They were foolish because they didn't see from previous accounts. Historically, the groom was delayed, which meant they should have had extra oil from past experience. But they rationalized why they didn't have to prepare themselves. And isn't it interesting that five of the bridesmaids looked at past history and they prepared with extra oil? See? Watch and learn. Watch and learn. And they realized that um, these wise bridesmaids, if I give you oil, I'm going to run out. But we'll, we'll have ten bridesmaids without any lit torches. No, you need to go to Quick Trip. Quick Trip's open 24 hours a day. They had Quick Trips in Palestine, by the way, back in the day. The reason why they were open was because because, uh, the whole town was celebrating the fact that the groom was coming. He was coming. We need, and so everything was open. And so it doesn't say bang on the door to awaken the owner of the shop. No, the shop was open. The problem was their timing was off. Which leads us to number four go in when the door's open. And that's what I want to encourage all of us today. Those who were ready, the five wise bridesmaids went in with him, with who? With the groom, to the marriage feast. And what happened? The door was locked after they went in. You see that? There's finality to that. The door was locked. I don't know if you ever heard of the story behind Jeff and Janelle Youngblue's first date. Um, Jeff made reservations for an exclusive downtown restaurant for Janelle, and Janelle took off the day of that date to get ready. She had her hair done in the afternoon. She got a manicure. She came home, did her makeup, put her best dress on, and she waited. And um, the expected time for arrival for Jeff came and went, and she continued to wait patiently, of course. And finally, after an hour of waiting, she figured, you know what, I've been stood up. It's as simple as that. And so she changed back into her pajamas and she got some of her favorite junk food out and she put a movie on and started watching it. Well, 
Later on, the doorbell rang. It was Jeff, and Jeff looked surprised, and he stared at her with wide open eyes, and he said, I'm two hours late, and you're still not ready? Wrong perspective, man. Wrong perspective. You got it wrong, man. Uh, <laughs> mm. Can I encourage you this morning? If you don't have a relationship with Christ, the door is open. It's open. It's not locked. But once it's locked, you're not going to get in. Five, too late. Verse 11. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. I I want you, uh, if I could be a little dramatic here, there's a lot of emotion. You can imagine, run silent, run deep, great sub-movie for World War II. Man, I've seen sub-movies where they're trying to fix something on the outside of the sub. They're underwater. They're on the surface. They recognize another sub's coming in, so what happens? The dude's on the outside. They don't have time for him to get back in the sub because that whole sub is at risk, so they shut the door, and they submerge, and they leave Bill in the water, and the crew is devastated. And the captain of the sub says, we can't risk losing an entire sub. For one man. You know the feeling when the hatch is closed and there's no way of getting in. It's too late. And that's the picture that Jesus is showing us. He says, I don't know you. Do you know what that means? And this is the tipping point right here in this parable. I don't know you. They said, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord. Easy to say. Easy to wear a cross around your neck if you're not following Christ. Easy to do. Lord, Lord. You know what Jesus says? Believe me, I don't know you. That simply means I don't have a relationship with you. You have gone through all the motions. You have done everything what the wise bridesmaids have done. You look the same. You sound the same. But I have no relationship with you. You've been doing this all on your own. You think exterior is all, it's what's most important on the outside. No, 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 no. It's having that relationship. It's, it's, it's putting your faith in Christ. There's finality. These foolish bridesmaids thought they had more time. They thought preparing for the future wasn't important. They thought the lack of readiness would be overlooked by Jesus. That's how a lot of people think. I've got more time. I don't want to give up my friends. I don't want to give up my popularity. Jesus will overlook this sin in my life, you know, no big deal. We rationalize. No. It's not the case. I don't know you because I don't have a... You've never put your faith in me. That's what Jesus was saying. Six, coffee, anyone? Coffee. What's that about? 
Well, for some, coffee keeps you awake, right? Doesn't that look inviting? Coffee, anyone? What's the point here? Jesus says, so you too, who's you? That's you and me. You too must keep watch. Watch means being spiritually awake. It means giving strict attention to. It's being alert to. For you do not know the day or hour of my return. You don't know when I'm coming back, but you need to be ready. You need to make preparations. You need to have a relationship with me. That's what Jesus is saying. We need to be awake because we don't know when he's coming. And he is coming. The midnight hour. This morning, how is it with you? The door's open. The door's going to close, and it's going to be locked. General William Nelson was a Union general during the Civil War. And he faced death every day on the battlefield, but he never prepared for it. Don't know what he thought about going into battle day after day. Maybe he was too busy trying to stay alive to prepare for death. But all that changed on September 29, 1862 in Louisville, Kentucky. General Nelson was in a home, just kind of relaxing with his men before going out to the next battle. And in came another Union general by Davis. His last name was Davis. And Davis had been a little perturbed with Nelson recently. And his blood pressure spiked. He grabbed a pistol, walked into the home, and shot Nelson in the chest. Knowing that he was dying, Nelson had one request. What do you think that request was? He says, send for the clergyman. And he was dead by 8.30. What happened? What happened to Nelson? Why the urgency? Did the general suddenly learn something about God that he had never known before? I don't think so. But he did learn something about himself. He realized that death was near. And suddenly only one thing mattered. Why didn't it matter before? Couldn't he have said yes to God a week before? Absolutely. He could have said yes to God earlier that morning. But why didn't he? Why was salvation of his soul so urgent after he was shot and so optional before he was shot? Why had he postponed his decision to accept Christ until he was on his deathbed? It was because he assumed he had more time to prepare. Friend, I'm encouraging you this morning to take care of it this morning, right here and right now. Do not be a foolish bridesmaid because that day, there's coming a day when that door will close and it will be locked and it's going to be too late. And the door is open this morning and Jesus is calling. 
He's calling. And Father, we thank you today. We thank you for this picture of God's grace once again to the world, to each one of us in this room, that the door to eternity is wide open. We need to put our faith, our trust in you, Jesus, to be able to go through that door, to be with you throughout all of eternity. And I pray this morning, even now, Lord, the urgency as General William Nelson realized what was most important on his deathbed, and that was to put his faith in you. No more procrastinating, no more rationalizing. Lord, let let it be this morning. I pray for each person in this room that they will cross over from foolish to wise. recognize that great love that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So yesterday, I was sitting at my desk in my office at home, and it's, it's got a picture window. I can look out facing north. And, man, I look out to the north, man, it's, it's dark. It's ominous looking, you know? And in just a matter of minutes, it was over our home. That quick. And I was thinking, how things can change so quickly, friend. You know, the sun could be shining. The ominous clouds are out there, but boom, that quick it was over, over our home. Don't make the same mistake that General Nelson made. Don't make the mistake that the five foolish bridesmaids made. Or John Franklin being ill-prepared. No, it's time. You have the opportunity to be prepared for eternity. I encourage you to do that today.